0: If you have your Bible this morning, turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. We're continuing on looking at commonly misused verses over the last month or so. We're going to finish out the month of November in this series of of twisted verses. Verses that we, we read, often quote, but more often misapply. And we've looked at some verses that we get so wrong that it's so backwards uh, that it doesn't even mean what the Bible teaches. But we've looked at at some verses that that we've just misapplied. They're, they're meant for certain stages of life and we've put them in different stages of life. We've we've looked at verses that that we try to use for general circumstances that only apply to specific circumstances. And this morning we're looking at another very common verse that we use all the time. That we share all the time, and I don't think that we necessarily always twist it, although there's one part which we twist, but we very often misapply it. We use it in the wrong circumstances way too often. It's fitting this morning that we sing a lot of songs about the goodness of God. Sometimes that's a God thing. Sometimes that's a Becky thing where she looks at my sermon and is able to do that. But can I tell you this morning, uh, whether that was a God thing or a Becky thing, uh, God worked through Becky, uh, it was appropriate for us to sing about the goodness of God. Because we must remember above all else that we serve a God who completely and fully and totally does only good. Amen? Amen. We serve a good God. Romans 8:28 is a verse we're going to be looking at this morning, where we read about God working together, everything for good. And I want to read the verse this morning. If you have your bulletin or follow along with the notes, you actually get to cheat a little this morning. If you choose to cheat, the Lord is watching. Uh, your blanks in the bulletin are literally just the verse, because I want to highlight a few key words to make sure we understand what Romans 8:28 means. Now, if you want to cheat and go ahead and fill them in, do that. But I would recommend, as we go through them, write the words in and maybe add your own little notes to remind you the meaning of Romans 8.28. Here's what the verse says, Romans 8.28. I'm using the English Standard Version. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His Hey, David, do you have my uh, thing to switch over there so it's up on the screen? Do you have that by chance? If not, that's okay. There it is. Okay. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. How many of you all are somewhat familiar with this verse? You've heard this verse before. Anybody? How many of you all have quoted something like this verse to someone struggling before? Anybody use this verse as encouragement? Good, you should use Scripture as encouragement. How many of you all have had this verse shared with you before in a time of discouragement, in a time of difficulty? Okay, Good, I'm glad that Scripture is being shared in discouraging times. And, and there's a really good chance that it was used in the right context because like so many of these verses, it means exactly what it says. Right? We know That for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And it is a reminder that in difficult times, God has a bigger picture and a bigger plan. That's why we can confidently say this morning, we serve a God who is good. So how do we misapply or misinterpret this passage of Scripture? Well, I think there's a few key words and phrases within this verse that we need to to highlight and make sure we understand what they mean. Because I'm afraid that this verse is used in circumstances that we don't mean to use it, or the Lord doesn't mean for us to use it. The truth is, because this verse gets misapplied so often, we have a misunderstanding on what this verse means. Can I be honest with you for a second? At the lowest moments of my life, the times when I felt the most despair and depression, the times I felt the most distant from God, maybe the times that the circumstances of life have weighed the heaviest on me, people have quoted me this verse and it has not had the effect I'm sure the Lord wanted it to have. When they look at me at my lowest of lows and say, don't worry, God's going to use all this for good, I look them right back in the eyes and think, I don't usually say, sometimes I say, I try not to say, this is not good. Don't tell me this is good. I don't want to hear about the goodness of my tragedy right now. This does not feel good, and God may have a bigger plan, but right here and right now, I find no encouragement because this is not good. You ever been in that place of life where someone gives you a Bible verse and you just think or maybe even say, this is not good. This morning, I'm afraid that we have misused this verse so often that it's watered it down. And when we get back to what Paul is actually writing in the book of Romans, and especially Romans eight twenty eight, we see the power of this verse that does give hope, that does give peace and comfort, that has the exact intention that you are trying to share it with. So my encouragement to you this morning is as we study this verse, let's not water it down. Let's use it for where God intended us for us to use it. So that when it's used properly, the power of God's goodness shines through. But we are just going to look at a few key words in this verse. You can jot them down in your bulletin if you like or follow along on the screen. And the first phrase we must focus on is, We know. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. This is an important two word phrase. We know. Because quite honestly, it's a a phrase that we skip over when quoting this. We'll say it, but we don't emphasize it. And we say the verse as if to say we think that we know. We believe that there's a good probability. Or we're hoping that for some way God will use this to work for good. And here's how I know we don't mean these two words we know. We mean we think. We always, almost always, follow this verse up with, and we know that God is working all things together for good. And we have no clue how that's going to happen or what situation that's going to happen in. And and we're not really sure how it's all going to pan out. but, But here's a verse to make us feel better. When you quote this verse... It should not be followed with, it'll all pan out. We'll figure it out. Somehow or another, God's going to do it. This verse is meant to be shared with confidence, with certainty. Not a somehow it's going to happen, but it is most assuredly going to happen. There is no doubt in our mind, we know that God knows what we don't know. But we can get this just from the context of this, this passage If you read Romans 8, and all of my references are in Romans 8 this morning, you can follow on the screen, but if you have your Bible in front of you, how powerful is it to see the word for yourself sitting in front of you? Paul is writing to the Roman Christians that there is suffering and anguish and struggle. Many of them are being heavily persecuted and beaten or martyred. And he talks about this suffering very candidly in the beginning of the chapter. And as he goes on to reveal their their suffering and their pain and their anguish, he gets to a point where he says, and I know you want to pray, and you're suffering so much that you don't even know how to pray. He he looks at them and says, I know you're, you're hurting so bad that you don't even know where to turn to or where to start. And that's when he reminds us, while there's so much we don't know, there's one thing we do know. Cling to this certainty. Look with me in Romans 8, 26, just two verses earlier. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For when we do not know what to pray for, we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Next time you're in the bottom of life, the valley of life, not only should you remind yourself of Romans 8:28, but can you remind yourself of Romans 8:26 that when you don't know what's going on and don't even know how to talk to God about it, the spirit knows. God is in control. He knows what's happening in your life and it's not a surprise or an accident. There's a a greater plan that God has, and so you can pray to God, Lord, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what my circumstances are all about. I don't know why I'm going through this, but I know that you can take my life, that you can interpret my prayers, and you can work your master plan. There's a a group called uh, the Paul Coleman Trio. It eventually eventually ended up just being Paul Coleman himself uh, from Australia, a Christian group, uh, who wrote some uh, really amazing and fun songs. Uh, one song that Paul Coleman wrote that I really appreciate and have always resonated with is a, a song called uh, One Thing. I, I want to read for you because I think it echoes this, this thought of we don't know, but God does know. He, he writes in the verse as it leads into the chorus, here I am in a river of questions. Can I pour my heart out to a listening ear? I see this life, it's valley and mountains, and I think of the roads that brought me here. I've questioned my reason, the life I'm living. I've questioned my ability to judge wrong from right. I've questioned all the things I've ever called certain, my race, my religion, my country, my mind. And of chorus, but the one thing I don't question is you. You really love me as you say you do. Verse 2, he goes on with more question. I've questioned my significance, my meaning and revelance. Does the work I'm doing really matter at all? I've questioned my friendships, alliance, dependence. Who will still be here when I fall? But the one thing I don't question is you. You really love me like you say you do. There's a lot of things in life that we don't know, that we're uncertain on. We don't understand and we can't fathom. But we know with certainty, without a shadow of a doubt, that God does love us. We know beyond certainty, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that God is working a plan bigger than what we can see. We may question a lot of things, but we can have certainty that God is in control. The second phrase, and I think this is where a lot of times we misapply this verse that I really want to highlight, is if we know with certainty that God sees a big picture, we have to ask ourselves, who is this verse for? And that's why I want to look at this phrase. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Now, I don't, I don't want to spend a ton of time here because we're actually going to come back to this towards the end of the verse. But can I tell you, when you look at your non-Christian friend or family member, that doesn't have a relationship with Christ. And you look at them and quote Romans 8.28. We know that God works all things together for good, and you stop there. You're misusing Scripture wickedly. This verse does not say God makes all things good for all people. And does this make us sound a little elitist, like, oh, Christians get the benefit that other people don't? Perhaps. We're going to get back to why that is towards the end, but I think it's important to recognize that this verse... It's a promise to believers in Christ, to those who love God. Those who we're eventually going to look at are called according to His purpose. So when we look at a non-believer and we say everything's going to work out for good, that's actually a lie, right? Ultimately, a a believer has the assurance of an eternal goodness from God, whereas someone who is, is not in a relationship with Christ, they don't have that assurance. The truth is, the hard truth, hopefully the convicting truth is, God does not work all things for good for those who rebel against him. Scripture is pretty clear about what their, their destiny is, and it's hurtful. Not something we enjoy reading or talking about. It's not something we take pleasure in sharing, but the fact remains that, that God has revealed to us that all those apart from Christ will be separated from Him eternally in a literal, physical, punishing hell. And it, it's not a good place. There is nothing good about that. So to look someone in the face who is not a believer and say, God's going to work your circumstances out for good is a lie. Not only that, but it has pushed so many people away from the cross of Christ. Because a non believer looks at that and says, I'm waiting for the goodness of God, and it's not there. God must not be good. It's a false truth, a false hope, one that points people not towards God, but points people away from His righteousness and His his mercy and His justice. It's one that says, you don't have to change anything about yourself, and God's still going to give you the blessing of salvation. It's a lie that allows people to sit back and say, what do I need to do? Nothing. God's goodness applies to me whether I trust him or not. There are places in Scripture that we see God gives goodness to all mankind. There's grace given to an extent to all human beings. But the goodness we're going to look at here in this verse is not applied to people who have not put their faith and trust in the Lord. No. This verse and the power of this verse is for you, believer, who loves God, God has a master plan for your good. We know that for those who love God, All things work together for good. Our next phrase is the one that I think that we need to understand clearly in application. All things does not mean good things. It means all things. We, we talked just this morning in, in Sunday school how we can kind of apply uh, pressure or, or apply uh, God's word for our lives when we're in times of pressure. How easy it is for us to say God is good when things are going good and how hard it is to be obedient to God when all of a sudden the, the time of testing comes. We understand that when things are going well, we can sing songs and say God is good Right? We, we can praise God for all of his blessings in our life. When there is a dollar in our bank account and it's not overdrawn, we can say, Lord, you are good. Right? When, when our family is happy and getting along together, we can say, God, you are good. When our job performance is being rewarded, we get a raise or at least some stability, we can say, Lord, you are good. When we're healthy, When we don't have anything wrong physically with us at the moment, when when we're able to, to move around and walk and talk and our loved ones are healthy, we look and say, God, you are good. But then the time of testing comes. All of a sudden, our bank account doesn't have a dollar in it, or it has less dollars than our bills. All of a sudden, our, our job performance is not only not being rewarded, but it's been taken from us for different circumstances and reasons, maybe of our own doing or maybe maybe not. All of a sudden, our health begins to fail us or fail someone we care about. Then, all of a sudden, we ask ourselves, where is God's goodness? It's important for us to remember that this verse applies not just to the good circumstances, but in all circumstances. It's important for us to realize that God is using all things for the good. That means God is using that illness. God, listen to that, God is using that illness. God is using that loss. God is using that hardship. God is using your struggle. God is using all things We know that from Romans chapter 8 because Paul writes to them that there is suffering they're enduring, but it's temporary. That's why we read in in chapter 8 verse 18, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in us. We get this clue that Paul is writing to people who are struggling and suffering and hurting. He compares it to, and and men, you're just going to have to take God's word for it. Women, you can give all the amen you want. He compares it to the pain that a woman goes through when she's giving birth to a child. It's extremely difficult and painful. But there's a moment at the end that brings about joy. That's why he writes in verse 22, We know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Paul is not writing to a group of fluffy Christians. He's writing through believers who are in the valley and struggling and hurting. And it's in those circumstances that God says, Paul says, God is using that for good. I think it's important that we realize it's not just the circumstances are being worked for good, but God is orchestrating the circumstances for good. God has given you the blessing of of health. God has given you the blessing of of family, God has given you the blessing of mountaintop experiences, but can we also remind ourselves that God gives us the struggle? God gives us the suffering. God is the one who puts the hardships often in our life so that He can use even the worst to bring about good. We know that for those who love God, believer in Christ, all things work together for, and here's our word, for good. That's where maybe you're like me and you ask yourself the question, where is the goodness in this suffering? The pain I'm feeling, where's the goodness? The loss I'm grieving, where's God's goodness? The the struggle financially I'm feeling, where's the goodness? The fight with my family, where's the goodness? It's important that we realize this good is not a a temporary circumstance. No, the goodness of God is eternal. And actually, this is not a a stretch. This is not me trying to put an eternal on a temporary verse. This is exactly what Paul is telling us when he gives us the next two verses in Romans chapter 8. He says in verses 29 and 30, those he foreknew he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that they might be the firstborn among many brothers. We'll read verse 30 in a minute, but look at the goodness that God is working in your life. It's not that you have more in your bank account or a stronger health. It's not that your family gets along. No. What he is working is that you would be conformed to the image of his son. God is making you more like Christ. That is the goodness. That doesn't mean that God is going to bless us with health and wealth on this earth. What it means is God is making us more like his son. There is an ultimate health and wealth that comes. We looked at that when we, we looked at the twisted verse of Jeremiah 29 11. There is an eternal wealth that God promises us, not while we're here, but in the future. And that's what verse 30 continues on with. Those he predestined to be conformed like his son, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified or made right. And those who he justified, he also glorified. Here's the promise that if God is working good in your life, if you are being conformed to the Son, there will come a day when you are glorified. As a matter of fact, if you're taking notes, next to that word good in your bulletin, write the word glory. God is working your glory for you to be made perfect one day. That does not happen while we have flesh and blood on planet Earth that does not happen in this lifespan. But there is a promise that for all those who love God, He is using every circumstance, high and low, to bring you to the goodness of what is ultimately to be glorified. We know that all things work who, for, for all those who love God, He works all things together for good. Maybe this morning you're scratching your head and you're asking, that's wonderful for those who love God, but what about me who's searching? Is God really not going to work good in my life? Maybe this morning you're sitting there and you're asking yourself the question, how is God doing anything good for me? This morning there is one more word in this verse I think is important that we we highlight. God is working all things together for good, for those who love him, and then listen to this phrase that that turns away from a promise and towards an invitation for those who are called according to his purpose. You know, right there in verses twenty nine and thirty right in the middle of your predestined and and, uh, and foreknew and predestined, there's called right in the middle, there's justified and glorified right in the center of this being made more like Christ is this word call. I tell you this morning, God's desire is to work good in your life. Hey, can I, I share with you with the promise of Scripture that, that Jesus Christ wants and wills that all men be saved. All people come to a knowledge of who He is. God's desire is to take even your worst circumstances and work them for good. He can't do that right now because you're pushing back. Because you've not asked Him. Because you don't want Him in your life. But if you would just step back, say, Lord, I want to respond to your calling. I want to live according to your purpose. Verse 30 tells us that those who He predestined, He calls. Can I say with certainty this morning that That God's desire is that you would come to know Him. He wants to call you. He wants to justify you and make you right before Christ. And He wants to ultimately glorify you, perfect you. He wants that eternity with you. This morning, if, if you're wondering, how has God ever been good to me? It's in that calling, it's in that promise that Jesus Christ died for the purpose of taking away your sins. There is nothing more good about God than that. In that commitment, in that response, we know with certainty that God takes every circumstance in our life, the highs and the lows, the mountains and the valleys, and he works them together to conform us more like Christ and to bring about our ultimate glorification and his goodness. This morning, I wonder if you would respond to God's calling in your life. I wonder if you would throw up your hands and say, Lord, I'm tired of my circumstances working for my evil. I want you to work them for good. I want you to grow me and teach me and mold me and show me how I'm supposed to live. This morning, this verse is is clear and straightforward. It's not one that we twist. It's one that we misapply. It's one that we water down. It's one that I hope to in your next struggle, brother or sister in Christ, you'll cling to and say, because I love God, because he has called me, because he knows me, I have a certainty that one day he ultimately will heal me. This morning, if you can't cling to that promise, would you respond to the call of Christ? To worship, to fall down and surrender, to say, God, I need your salvation. Let's pray together. Father, I'm grateful and I'm thankful that even my difficulties and my struggles, and Lord, we have many Lord, I'm thankful that they're, they're orchestrated by you for my good. Lord, I, I recognize a blessing of knowing you and being a, a believer in Christ is, is that you start to use the worst times in my life for what will be the best time in eternity. Lord, I pray that I would be faithful to remember your goodness even in the struggle. Lord, I pray this morning for those who, who hear these words and wonder, does that promise apply to me? Lord, remind them that, that you're calling them. Your desire is for them to submit and respond in salvation. Lord, your desire is for their well-being, for goodness. Lord, we thank you for using our struggles and our difficulties, and we pray that you would change our heart to have confidence, knowing that no matter what happens, For those of us that love you, you're working all things together for good. It's in your name we pray. Amen.